Welcome back to War and Peace Pod Notes. On to Chapter 2 of Book 1, Part 1. And based on your edition, the chapters may differ. This project uses, naturally, one of the common editions, which you can follow if you are reading the Penguin Book version. Some of the versions translated by the husband and wife team, Luis and Alma Maud, of the United Kingdom, also use this chaptering, including the version in the popular Everyman's Library. Tolstoy knew the Mauds and approved of their translation, but there are other versions, some which also use the Maud translation, where the chapters are slightly smaller. For example, if you're reading from the free online version from Project Gutenberg, the chaptering is a bit different. So, to start chapter 2, the guests at Anna Pavlovna's soiree are filling the drawing room. If that sounds unfamiliar and old-fashioned, it's a large room for entertaining guests in palatial estates. Elaine, Prince Vasily's daughter, arrives, and she is strikingly beautiful. Another prominent guest is Princess Lise, the young wife of Prince Andrei Belkonsky. Lise and Andrei were married within the past year, and Lise is pregnant, which is a delight to their society friends. Lise is described as attractive in something of a natural type way. She's said to have an adorable upper lip, the kind that leaves her teeth exposed in a most pleasant way. Tolstoy describes the shortness of her lip as its own peculiar form of beauty. Seeing someone so youthful, vibrant, and pretty lifted the spirits of all around her. Anna, the hostess, using the French language, compliments Lise on her dress. And remember, for this group, French is the preferred language and it's expected. Lise decides to publicly air a grievance that's been weighing heavily upon her, namely that her husband has decided to join the war effort or coalition against Napoleon. The term coalition describes the various groups, factions, militaries, and countries that united at different points to fight Napoleon. And there were many against Bonaparte. There were seven that were created to take him down, and overall, considering the odds, Napoleon has an extraordinarily impressive record. He was often overwhelmingly outnumbered, but that really didn't win the day because of Napoleon's superior grasp over logistics. But Princess Lee's fears that her husband André will leave her a young widow. And she asks a question many do when a loved one goes off to war, especially when they volunteer to enter into a foreign conflict. She asks, tell me, what is this wretched war for? Arriving to the event soon after is Pierre Bezikoff, one of the novel's main characters. His name is a blend of French and Russian that symbolizes the conflict at the heart of the book, namely Napoleon invading a land where the aristocracy has heartily adopted the French culture. But the people who are going to repel the invasion are not French speakers. This shows you the divisions of society at the time were not really based on geography or race, but rather class and language. For many picking up the book for the first time, especially for younger readers, many would be prone to think that the central character of Pierre is a Frenchman, perhaps some type of French student who wound up in Russia, when instead, Pierre is the illegitimate son of one of the wealthiest men in the country. His father is Count Kirill Bezikov, who is said to have many illegitimate children, though we really don't see a lot of this brood of illegitimates throughout the novel. But we do know Pierre is quite favored among this group. 
Pierre's father, the Count, is very ill and reportedly on the verge of death, or so say his doctors. Pierre is back in the country after the Count had sent him to Europe to be educated for the better part of a decade. He may have had some trips home in the interim, but that's left vague. Pierre has spent time in France, studied there, also picked up German, so he was likely in Paris, Vienna, Bordeaux, Geneva, Berlin, Frankfurt, Milan, Bremen, you name it. Pierre has been greatly influenced by the ideas of the post-French revolutionary period, a time of great social upheaval. It was also a time that propelled France to become the most influential country of the time, and Paris the de facto capital of the world, and this influence would kind of seesaw with uh, the United Kingdom. Pierre, as far as appearance, is described as tall, heavyset, but light on his feet. He has a great natural strength to him. He's also absent-minded and clumsy. Most importantly, he's thoughtful and caring and quite observant. Anna is somewhat dismissive of Pierre by reason of his social status. This view of him would have been normal for the time and is shared by most of those at the event. And in a bit of comic relief through the dense prose of these introductions, Anna would greet some of her patrons and then steer them to an elderly guest, a woman who would engage all she would meet in inane banter. Could be about the weather, the state of country, or the empress. We've all been stuck in that type of conversation. As Anna does her best to keep the wheels of the party going, she makes sure to keep a careful eye on Pierre. It's an eye to make sure he doesn't disturb the other guests unduly. Pierre is floating from group to group without being able to enter into any conversation. He's described as bumping around like a kid in a candy store. Pierre winds up committing some common social faux pas, first leaving one lady in mid-conversation before she was finished speaking, and second speaking way too long with another lady. He eventually winds up in a group where an Italian noble is speaking of his ideas for peace in Europe. Now that really sums up the second chapter. It's these first few chapters that are really going to determine if you get interested enough to keep going. And reading this book will be quite a commitment. It's over a thousand pages, perhaps twelve to fourteen hundred depending on your font size and edition. This novel was written over a century and a half ago, about a time over two hundred years ago. Namely, it was written in the 1850s and 1860s, about half a century after the events depicted. It blends history and fiction to arrive at a higher truth. Few will ever read the novel as written as you would have to know French and Russian, and much of the conversations between the aristocracy were written in French. The second chapter also introduces the two most significant fictional characters in the book, Pierre Bezikov and Prince Andrei Belkonsky. Both Pierre and his father, the Count, are fictional. The title Count was introduced by Peter the Great and was from German tradition. It was awarded to prominent families, who then supported their czar's modernization reforms. The old Count's wealth symbolized how so much could be concentrated in one person. And that was something Tolstoy wanted to point out was in need of reform. So the Count owned so much land throughout the Russian Empire and so many of the people who were tied to that land, serfs. Russia was still operating under feudalism during this time Tolstoy writes about, and Tolstoy witnessed significant reforms over his lifetime. For example, serfdom ended in the early 1860s and was ending even before then, over a period of years. This was also a time where the issue of slavery was fought over in the United States Civil War. Serfs, as opposed to slaves, 
could not be sold from the land and separated from their families, and only nobility in Russia could own land, but huge expanses the size of big American states were only owned by a few people. The war Tolstoy served in, the Crimean War, which was fought from 1853 to 1856, which Russia lost to the Ottomans and their allies, led to further reforms to try to bring Russia up to date. Now, as referenced before, Pierre was not the heir of his father, but he did have the favor of his father, who sent him abroad to study, and that favor will have a role to play as the Count's condition worsens. In contrast, Andrei Belkonsky has title, that of Prince, the legitimate heir to his own prominent father, which you'll learn more about. Turning back to the chosen language among the aristocracy, all the guests speak French, which showed the preferred language of the upper class, while in contrast, the language of peasantry would be Russian, Ukrainian, or other languages traditionally associated with certain areas. For background, Tolstoy has been said to have known French, German, and even English. He could also reportedly read in Greek, Latin, Spanish, Italian, Ukrainian, and Turkish. So that will wrap up this commentary on Book 1, Part 1, Chapter 2. Thank you so much for listening.